Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 9 of Footmarks in which I your host Viram Kazi will be talking to Jared Kimber about his work and on the itinerary today is Jared's piece on Steve Smith struggling with his sleep so as we all whoever's read it or whoever hasn't should know that Steve Smith really struggles big time trying to sleep during a test match and that's 5 days but before we even get into that Jared uh, there's something very funny that you mentioned at the start of your piece is that Steve Smith ironically has stake in a mattress company and it's been quite fruitful for him he turned a 100000 dollar investment into 12.1 million dollars which is insane i mean he probably made more mm. money off of that investment that he would have made through many franchise leagues barring the ipl maybe so the irony really no i think he would have made, he more. Would have made more i think that's more than <laughs> what he's ever made off the ipl i would have to go back and check mm. right but my guess is that i mean it would be australian dollars mm. so it's probably closer to 7 or 8 million would be mm. my guess but yeah It's ridiculous. Uh, he it, it's uh, for those I don't know if they're big in Asia. Uh you probably would have had them when you're in Canada, which is it was you know the mattress uh industry was like really old fashioned, mm-hmm. right? You had to go down to the local store and talk to the guy. And then people worked out that you could roll the mattresses up and send mm-hmm. them out to people and people started uh doing more experimental ma- mattresses and they would give you um you know and so there's heaps of them and so he invent he invested in one of the Australian models of that and clearly it went absolutely ballistic <laughs> um and it may even not even be Australian it might might have gone international now as well but I'm pretty sure it's an Australian one um and yeah it's all the more funny because you're talking about a guy who can't sleep during test <laughs> matches and th- one of the reasons that I'd never really written about this and there's almost like a, a second spin-off article that that I could put off it is I never slept the night before cricket games. And so I know exactly what is happening and um and you know I, I from from that perspective I, there was nothing I could ever do and I remember we, we had a very strict captain at one stage who was like everyone needs to be in bed by 11:00 and I had to go to him and I was like look and this is before social media so he never would have caught me but just in case I happened to be out and someone he knew was there I said look I will not be asleep before 11:00. If I'm in bed at 11:00, I'll still be awake at 3:00 a.m. What I do is I don't sleep the night before, but I also don't get hammered yeah. <laughs> as much on a Friday night as I do on a Saturday night. Um and I'll go to bed very late. And the reason was if I went to bed at any normal time, I would spend 2 or 3 hours going through every single single thing that could happen in the game the next day. And I would assume that's what happens with Steve Smith. And then I 
I only played in a few multi-day games, as in, you know, played on a Saturday and a Sunday, or we also played on three-day games and sometimes four-day games. They were much worse for me for the same reason is now you know what's happened on the first day. So now in the second day, you mm. you literally know the bowler's face, you know how the ball's going to come out, you know where you're going to put the field, if you're the captain, all this sort of stuff. So for me, it was um, it made a, it makes a lot of sense to me just like that. I was actually surprised that more players aren't like mm. that. And so... From that perspective, I wonder if, you know, me and Steve Smith don't, both don't have the same kind of obsessive personality that sort of means that that's all we can do, right, once once we do that. It took me years to fix. It wasn't just cricket that I had trouble with. I had trouble with my sleep everywhere, mm. and it, if it wasn't cricket, it was something else. And I basically spent about a decade training myself in how to go to sleep. Um, and so I know how tough it is, and I've tried the sleeping pills and everything else as well. Um, and so I can understand why he doesn't want to use yeah. those, and neither would I. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I just thought it was a really fascinating uh, story. Mm. And then I was like, well, okay, now is it true? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe, maybe. Here's a theory that the reason why Steve Smith uh, can't sleep during a test match is because he's gotten so used to his own mattresses that he's selling that that's all he can sleep on. So maybe, maybe that's a theory. Maybe you should look into getting one of those mattresses, Jared. But your approximations in the piece, and of course, this is only going by what Smith has said, has said himself, yeah. is that he gets approximately 12 to 14 hours of sleep throughout a test match, which by no means can be enough, particularly when you're playing red ball cricket and multi-day cricket and the rigors of it all and being switched on all the time. And like you mentioned, you know, there's new drama every day, overnight drama. So just, just to cope with that mentally as well, there's that can't be healthy. Three things I never trust. Yeah. No, that no, can be I agree. A There's three things. No, I agree. But there are three things that I never trust, mm. right? When it comes to, especially men, it's obviously their dick size, <laughs> right? Then it's how many drinks they had the last mm. night. And then it's how many hours of sleep they had. Women are the same, mm. of course, because it's actually very hard to know how much sleep you've had. Yeah. Right. And for those of you who do struggle with sleep, the best way, of course, is to just lay in the one position. It's the tossing and turning, which is the, the, the bigger issue. Even if you're not sleeping, if you lay in one position, you're still rested enough for the next day. Whereas most people, when they're not sleeping, they toss and turn more. They, you know, they wake up, they maybe have a snack, they do all these different things. So we're going on how many hours he is telling us that he's sleeping. My guess is it's probably slightly more than mm -hmm. that because you're never quite sure when you're awake and when you're asleep anyway, right? Like there are sometimes when you know when you're in REM sleep, but quite often we don't know. But yeah, so we went with that. And as you said, there's no way that can be enough for a professional right. athlete, especially if it's, it's different if you're a sprinter and you and you don't have a lot of sleep the night before a race, but then you've got the next day you're not sprinting and so you have sleep again and then the next day you don't have sleep. It, it's the re repetitive mm. nature of it. I don't think one night of having three or four hours sleep, I don't know how, you, you know, and everyone's different. Right. You don't seem to have any sleep, mm. so you don't. Even, you shouldn't even be in this conversation. Right. But, but for us normal people, <laughs> uh, you know, we can, most of us can get by with one night of, between four and six hours sleep without it really affecting our performance. But if you go four hours of sleep, four hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, five hours of sleep, it just gets worse mm -hmm. and worse and worse, right? And I think that is where the test cricket specifically means it doesn't work very well for Steve Smith. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I am someone who is nocturnal myself and I don't get a lot of sleep, but I will get five to six hours a night. And let's suppose that Steve Smith, let's bump that number up to 20. Let's suppose he gets 20 hours of sleep, right? 20 divided by five is still four. So during a test match, he's getting four hours of sleep a night. Even if that's like a higher limit, that's not enough, especially when you're out in the field for 90 overs every day, or maybe not every day, but 
for a lot of the game, right? And then he bats yeah. for long periods as well. So, I mean, it can't possibly be healthy. Your body can't regenerate, mm. right? I mean, that, the idea of sleep is just to rest your body. Right. And if he's just, as I said, if he's just laying there and staring, it's probably not mm. the worst. But if it's, my guess is, and this is what I the have way my he bats, with sleep. Like you'd expect he'd be tossing and turning a lot. Yeah, be fiddling yeah. all night, right? Making sure his underwear's on correctly, changing the the yeah. the, the duvet um, mm. setup. The sheet is too tucked <laughs> or not tucked enough, right? He'd be retucking it. Um, but but yeah, I would assume that that w- w- that was what how I learned about sleep was essentially to eventually it was the worrying about the sleep that was causing me mm. the issue. Because if I was if I went to bed at ten o'clock at night and I knew I had to get up at six a.m. in the morning. If I realized it was 12 or 1, even without looking at my clock, if I realized I'd been in bed for ages and not sleep, that was when the issues would start Mm. to come. Whereas now I'm just like, well, I've been laying still for two or three hours and then eventually I will doze off and then Mm. I'll come back. Whereas it's clearly an issue for him because he's mentioning it. So I would say that he is moving around. So his body is not regenerating. You know, he's not um, resting the way that he should be, which means he's not going to be as sharp for the things he needs to be sharp for. Yeah, let's hope he's not shuffling a lot in bed. But uh, I mean, going by like my own experiences, if I have slept like three to four hours, I can do my work, but I struggle. This guy's playing a test match. So I mean, that just blows my mind. But anyway, let's get into the numbers, shall we? Steve Smith averages close to 16 test match cricket. cricket. He's considered the best after or since Bradman by many. But when you break those numbers down, it's a very interesting sort of split by innings, of course. In the first innings, Mm. he averages a whopping 86, which is again, the best since Bradman with a minimum of 2000 runs for all batters, I believe. That's what was in your piece. And then if you go gradually to each next innings, there's a drop. And there's a significant drop to the point where in the fourth innings, he averages around 28. Now, there might be a lot of reasons at play, but surely sleep could be a factor over here or, or the lack of, actually. Yeah, it's a very... <laughs> not all batters have a drop, hmm. right? So we know it is the batting averages do drop by innings by hmm. innings. But because of the way that you play and the conditions you play in and, and all these sorts of things... It's usually a bit more of a wiggly mm. line. You might struggle on the first morning of test matches because you don't like the ball zipping around sideways. But then by the second innings, when it's a little bit flatter, that might be your really yeah. good innings. Third, you might stay really good. And then fourth, you might struggle when the ball's keeping mm-hmm. a little bit low, whatever that may be, or it spins more, whatever, whatever that lateral movement comes in, but now it's spin. Um, and yet you look at his numbers and it is just, it looks like a slide, right? It looks like he starts up it's here. Linear. I think, what did you say? It was 86... 55, 38, mm. 40, I think, and then 28. Some, yeah. uh, maybe I've got the numbers slightly 28 wrong, and 86 are accurate, goes... and I think 55 is as well. I, I forget the one in the third innings, but the rest are fine. And it's very, very linear. It's an it's like an actual slide. Exactly. Mm. Um, and, and that was the thing that made me think, well, it must be sleep-related. Mm. And I think everyone else who's ever looked at this probably just went, oh, it's sleep. And as we'll talk about, I went a lot deeper than that. And I do think there's other issues here at play rather than just sleep. But I find it hard to see that angle and say that everything we know about Steve Smith, he shouldn't be averaging, if he could average 86 in the first innings, which quite often the ball is moving around and things Mm -hmm. are happening. And, you know, um, it doesn't really make sense that he averages 28. Mm -hmm. And, And what I wanted to know, and we'll talk about this a lot, was... Is this something that happens to right. other people? And is there a is is there any way we can work out if the tiredness does play mm-hmm. a factor? But while also admitting that it's quite clear that the kind of game he plays, he relies on consistent bounce a lot mm-hmm. more. And in the fourth innings, you're going to get much 
less consistent bounce than you are in the first innings. And so that might also play an issue as well. Yeah, we'll get into all of that good stuff. But here's an interesting one for you. If we just look at the drop from first innings to second innings, all right, 86 to 55, that's 30 runs on average, right? That's a lot. And this is for like all the batters in the world. And you look at this drop and you're like, okay, that's massive because both of these are the first innings. Like this is Australia's first innings. So him batting first, like in a test match and then batting second, there's a drop of 30 runs. And would you say that maybe there's some correlation over here that, you know, one sleepless night versus two sleepless nights equals to 30 runs lost in his average? No. Hmm. So... I think that's a really good question. What I would say is this is the point where I went, he shouldn't be dropping 30 runs from one or let's say two nights mm. of sleeplessness, right? I understand the fourth innings one. The fourth innings yeah. one makes a lot more sense. For the second innings one, you're just like something else. That's when I started to talk about the context. Steve Smith is, look, I don't know what spectrum Steve Smith is on and I don't know if he's ever been tested. I think a lot of elite athletes are on different spectrums. I've never been tested. I'm sure I'm on multiple spectrums. I think you seem normal. <laughs> um, but, you know, some of the other guys we work with are not. A, a lot of sports writers are on the spectrum, uh, whichever, whatever spectrum that may be, maybe ADHD mm. or autism or, I don't know, there may be other spectrums I got a tweet well. just today I, that, are you autistic? Did not know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that, uh, the answer was... The answer anyway, was we'll, you're we'll, getting You can tell me off here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... And, and so I think from that, that there is an element of, he is a peculiar person. I spent a lot of time with very good players. You know, I, I know a lot of other players who are near his level, of his level, you know, or not of his level, but, you know, near his level, greats for their country. He is different even amongst those sorts of people, right? In the way that Boycott was different amongst those sorts of people, mm. in the way that KP was different amongst those sorts of people, in the way that Viv Richards. There's a lot of players who are just, Different. Mm. Java Min, that's probably mm. another very good example of that. I think particularly if you look at Steve Smith, he's at his absolute best when the only thing he has to do is worry about the next mm. ball. He doesn't have to worry about the context of the game. He doesn't have to worry about what the opposition has already made. He doesn't have to worry about getting a lead. He doesn't have to worry about the fact that they've lost five wickets, but they're at this. All he has to worry about at, in the first innings is making as many runs as possible at his pace. Mm. Right, nothing else at that stage matters other than if he can make it to 180. Australia are at least going to be 350 to 400. They'll be in a good position of winning that game. Even from the second innings, I think things do start to change. Now, maybe it is. I mean, you said one day's tiredness. It might be one and a half days, mm -hmm. right? Because there might be some days when he's not batting. Um, uh, you know, until the third day or wh whatever those sorts of situations are. But the context of the game is already dictated to him. And if you watch him play in T20 cricket and one-day cricket, he is not as good a player as he is in test match because he doesn't play as well to the context of those situations in a way that someone like MS Dhoni, MS Dhoni didn't bat particularly well in test cricket at times until he had context. Mm. He needed to know why he was batting at that time rather than just batting for as long as ben possible. Ben Stokes is someone who uses context probably the best out of the lot, right? Exactly. I think so. He's another really good example of that. Whereas I think Steve Smith is maybe more of an old fashioned, just numbers sort of person. Mm. I think it would be silly to downplay that just because we also have evidence through white ball cricket that this is a, an issue. And we've heard him talk. We know that, you know, when he's just focusing on the next ball and making as many runs as possible, he makes a lot of runs. When he's actually out there and he's thinking about everything else, um, 
you know, sometimes those things do bother him a little bit more and do a play on it. So I would like to think that that drop from first innings to second innings has something to do with that. The only other thing I would say, and I'm sure you're going to bring this up soon anyway, is that he also hasn't batted as much in the second innings as he has in the first innings. We know he has a very good sample size in the first mm -hmm. innings. Australia has batted first an extraordinary amount of matches that Steve Smith has played in. He hasn't batted second as much. And I don't want to say it's small sample size because I don't think mm -hmm. that, that that would be fair because he certainly batted there a lot. But it's certainly, I trust the numbers in the first innings and the third innings more than I do the numbers in the second innings and the fourth innings just because he hasn't played in them mm. as much. Yeah, that's fair. And I suppose we don't need to visit that now because you've, you've uh, put that out pretty clearly. Before we... Well, fourth innings, just before we go ahead, fourth innings, was it, he's batted 24 times yes, in the fourth innings? that is correct. That's not a lot for someone who's played as many matches Absolutely. as him. And I was shocked it was that low uh, coming in. I, I didn't know that. And I do think that plays a part in the overall thing. Although... Just to go back, it's a slide, yeah. right? It's not as if the fourth innings mm -hmm. is bad on its own. Absolutely. But just before we go deeper into the numbers, of course, because there are a lot of those, I just want to touch the topic of sleep doctors because you mentioned how the NBA and NHL in particularly, they started employing sleep doctors because they recognize the importance of sleep for professional athletes. And then a very recent interview of Delhi Ali, a footballer in England, mm. it revealed that you know, Tottenham Hotspur, the football club, used to give their players sleeping pills. And he got addicted to those sleeping pills because it helped him escape a lot of other problems going on in his life. So what's your take on all of that? Should Australia be looking at these sort of fixes? And can this help Smith or will it just be futile? So I've never told this story before. Mm. And I've always wondered when I was going to. But here's the time. I was a shift worker. Mm. And being a shift worker is a little bit like being a cricketer who plays a lot of day-night mm. games or a basketballer. Don't know about football as much, but maybe footballer mm. as well in that it's not just about the fact that you're working in the afternoons or nights. It's also when you get home, you know, if you get home at 3 a.m. from a shift, you can't go to bed by 3.15, right? Because everything's working. And generally, when you have problems with sleeping, it eventually comes back to sleeping pills. So I took a, a sleeping pill to, called Stillnox, which has different names everywhere, but it's the same pill that Heath Ledger used. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I... Um, that the doctors just had given up on helping me how to mm. sleep. So they, they started giving me these, these things. And I started having the weirdest dreams of my life. And then not long after that, I started thinking people were in the room with me at mm. night. And it's a particular sleep. I forget the name of it. It's, it's, it's related to sleep paralysis. Oh, I get that. But, I have sleep yeah, paralysis. But it's not sleep paralysis in that I am fully asleep but I am acting out things and it's not just a form of sleepwalking as well, where even though I can feel a person next to me on the bed or, or all these sorts of different things and I'm conscious of it, I'm still asleep. So quite often with sleepwalking, you don't know what you're doing at all and you, you know, suddenly wake up and you're like, how am I in this hallway? I could tell you exactly why I was in that hallway, Baron, but when I would tell you why I was in that hallway, you would look at me like I was mad because I used to, um, I used to have dreams that Adolf Hitler was in my bedroom. Okay. <laughs> right sometimes it would be aliens sometimes it would be hitler sometimes it would be all these things to the point at one stage i was positive that adolf hitler was watching tv in the room next to me and i well, like came out of the door and my girlfriend at the time was watching tv um and it, it got really bad until my flatmate like was worried i was actually going to come in and hurt him because i had done stuff mm. in fact i've had moments where i've tried to protect my wife from a ghost mm. right this is, no, this is what happens on, on sleeping tablets. It doesn't happen for everyone, 
but those are the extreme cases. So you hear the Deli Alley one and you're just like, why would you be mass pre um, prescribing these to your players? Because people do have these sorts of impacts. Then you get addicted to them as Deli Alley did, as Heath Ledger did. I think I was addicted to them for a little while, but also it's not a normal kind of sleep. For some people, sleeping tablets just work perfectly and they wake up rested and they're like ready to take on the day. For a lot of us, we wake up in this weird kind of haze. Mm. And so what has happened a lot over the last couple of years is we now realize that sleep affects players oh, and athletes far more than it ever has before. Mm. So when I started looking into this with Steve Smith, I never saw the word sleep therapist there anywhere, but I did see that he tried sleep tablets and he didn't like them and he went off them. And so I started talking to everyone in cricket and I couldn't find anyone in cricket who'd ever hired them. Mm. Now I know from my friends who played in the IPL, this is early on in the IPL, that their biggest problem was that you, you play the game at eight o'clock at night. Some of those games don't finish till around midnight. You get back to the hotel at 1am. Your beans are pumping because of the game. You're up till two, three, four in the morning, right? And then the next day you might have to travel somewhere else or you might have practice or whatever All else. All the Royal and Challenges so no one... owner had an open bar. Maybe that was also a thing from back in the day. That didn't, partic <laughs> that didn't particularly help either. There was a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of stories about uh -huh. the IPL. But the point is a lot of that day-night cricket does uh, and, and it completely screws you up. And then the next day, you try and go back to a normal sleep habit, but you can't go back to the normal sleep habit. So I just figured by now, cricket with a sport that has masses of amounts of travel and a lot of day-night mm. games uh, and different formats, right, would have this. Mm. I couldn't find anyone in cricket who had ever hired these people. I'm pretty sure that someone hired one for Steve Smith, whether it was him directly um, or his agent or his manager directly, or whether it was Cricket Australia on his behalf. But it does seem like an untapped market for cricket because it's a sport there. So I know so many players who have problems with their sleep habits within cricket, mm -hmm. not in the way that C. Smith was, but just in the, you know, trying to deal with the day-night games, the day games, you know, sleeping during a test match as well. I have heard other players complain about it in different ways. Um, and so it is an issue. And, and the reason I know about all this is because in basketball, they talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I'll tell you about a uh, CPL game I worked at where we, I think we're in Guyana, I want to say, and we finished at 1 a.m. and our flight was at 6 a.m. Mm. Right. So the game, by the time we got back to the hotel, it was 1 a.m. Right. and our flight was at 6 a.m. How we, and I, as an analyst, I couldn't work out how to mm. manage this. So I'm going to have like three hours of sleep. Then I'm going to get on a plane for an hour and a half. Then I'm going to get on a bus for an hour and a half. Then I'm going to beat the other place. When do I, and then the game was the following morning. Yeah. Right? That's insane. We had things like that all the time. We even had players, when I was at the CPL, we had three players. They couldn't get a visa via America. And so they ended up having to sleep um, on the floor of the um, Panama airport. Hmm. Right? Um, it's not, you know, cricket really has an issue with these sorts of things a lot. And so, yeah, I, you know, looking at the American sports and I think football is another one, obviously, you know, Tottenham were trying to, was it Tottenham? Yeah, you said? Tottenham was. Yeah, they were trying to fix it, maybe making it all a lot mm. worse. But the point is that professional athletes, it's a bit like shift workers, but then it's shift workers with travel, which is kind of the worst kind of shift working. Um, and, you know, and then you've got the physical thing of it. When you finish that game, your your beans. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going all Gareth Batty here, but your your beans are pumping. You know, your mind. You can't turn your brain off. You know, you've got adrenaline in your system. You know, something's happened. You know, we. Yeah, the Sri Lanka have lost the wicket right at the end. The play, the captain's trying to work out what that all means. The the number eight batter's got to come in the bat the next day. All these different things happen. Sleep is a really important thing, and it isn't something that I think cricket has 
focused on enough. Fair enough. You mentioned the CPL. Well, they advertise themselves as the biggest party in sport, right? So I don't know why you were expecting. It's not ideal. Sleep, because sleep is for the weak. In that particular... Hey, I was up on that in Guyana and no one was around the party. Those players went and had to sleep that night because I thought, great, we'll stay up with them. You know, mm. they could play some dominoes. I'll watch some movies beside them. <laughs> they all went to bed that night. It was the only night they all went to bed, of course, but yeah. Oh, well. Now let's get back to the numbers, of course. You had lots of them and there were these two really nice pie charts that you had, which had all of Steve Smith's runs and innings percentages you know, by each innings, one, two, three, and four. So both of those pie charts were right next to each other. And you could see that his utilization of innings number three and four with respect to the amount of runs scored with the number of innings he had or opportunities he's had, there was a big disparity over there. Now that surely does not seem right for someone who is considered the best since Bradman. That sounds like the numbers of someone who can only bat when Australia are batting in their first innings. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a bit shocked at that because I, I knew his batting average was low coming mm. in. I mean, I'm not the first person to cover that side mm. of it, right? Yeah, That's been covered before. But what I was more interested in was the fact that he hadn't played a lot of fourth innings, but he'd still massively underperformed in them. Average is fine. If he had a low average, mm. but he was still making a decent amount of runs, you go, oh, he just probably, he's missed out on a couple of not outs here. And, you know, as I said, it wasn't a lot of innings. Mm. But when you look at it and you're just like, actually, the percentage of runs doesn't make any sense here. He's just not making any runs. At that stage, you you realize that it is a proper problem and it's not he's missed out on a couple of easy chases at the end of games. And, you know, the fact that was such a large percentage of his runs came from the first mm -hmm. innings, considering he hadn't played in the first innings that much more than he played in more the other. More than half you know, of in his runs innings. in test cricket come in the first innings. That's ridiculous. I mean, out of four, I can't, the first innings. Yeah. I didn't go through everyone to work out if anyone had ever done this, but I would be shocked if there's any other major player who has that record. Yeah. Um, you know, because no one else has ever averaged anywhere near to him. But that is, when I saw that, that was the point at which I thought you, you could make an argument that you always bat first against mm. Australia to take him out of a game. Because you are literally saying at that point, I think he averages 86 in the first innings and then it's, 41 i think for the last three innings mm -hmm. combined or something like 40 or 41 yeah. i'll take 41 <laughs> steve smith right i'll take that any day so we will just bat first every time steve smith's now just a normal batter yeah. uh and let's see how we go in the game yeah no absolutely i mean if you're an analyst that certainly makes sense because the sample size is you know a big one because steve smith has played a lot of games but you know there's more than meets the eye over here of course because if you look at his fourth innings average steve smith averages what 28 Above in the list from him is Jason Holder. Now, we all know that Steve Smith is a much better bat than Jason Holder, yet his fourth innings average is below Holder. So there are a bunch of variables. Of course, sleep cannot be the only factor, even if it is a contributing factor mm -hmm. or variable. There's the fact that he plays across the line a lot. And also, you know, he's a, he's a fidgety player. He, he also relies on consistent bounce a lot, which is... Pretty much that's why the best time to bat for him is in the first innings, even more so than the second innings. So, yeah, just break it down for me. What do you think are the main things at play over here? NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews.
So we talked about the rest and we talked about the context. Mm -hmm. I think context, probably not a huge amount, but uh -huh. plays a, a, a small a small role. I think the fact that he plays across the line so consistently um, has to factor in because the, we do know that the ball keeps lower at the mm -hmm. end and that bounce is not as consistent. I don't have any great numbers that suggest that I'm 100% right mm -hmm. here. The first thing I did was I looked at other players who are famous for playing across the line. So I had KP, Viv Richards, Victor Trompa, mm -hmm. and Bradman. They don't share the same pattern. But it should be said that those guys play across the line from sort of outside off stump and drag the ball to the leg side. Whereas what Smith is doing is he's essentially turning his off stump into his leg stump every ball. Uh, and so the only way I could work out how to look at it was that his LBW percentage goes up. So in, I think he's a, he's a below average LBW in the first and the second mm. innings, which is remarkable considering the way he plays, mm. by the way. I couldn't believe yeah. that. Um, and then in the third and the fourth innings, he's an above average LBW player. So it does suggest that as the pitch gets slightly less consistent, he does struggle with the LBWs and everything else. And that was this is kind of where I started the article from, mm -hmm. which is everyone was so convinced it was only sleep. And I was like, but he plays across the line. Like, surely that has to factor in. And it's not, uh, I don't know what percentage it would have had to be, but maybe if it had been like 33% of his dismissals in the four things for LBW, it would have been like ding, 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 ding. And I think it's closer to 26% or 24%. One fourth. Somewhere around there. Yeah, it's about a quarter. I can't remember on what side of the quarter it is. But certainly the big difference was, I showed it to Cheyenne, who obviously mm -hmm. works with us. And I said to him, what do you think of this? And he said, well, he's below average LBW and then above average LBW. That in itself tells you that he is not playing the second innings in the same way he plays the mm -hmm. first innings. And that is probably because the consistency of the bounce isn't there. So I think if I don't know how we would assign percentages to all these different things to say how much they are involved, but I find it very hard to believe that a player who plays consistently across the line would be as good in the fourth innings as they are in the first innings if they play the way that Steve Smith does, where they're bringing LWW into play so much more. So I think that has to be a significant reason why he struggles more in the later innings than he does in the first one. Fair enough. Now, let's talk about the trend again, the linear slide that Steve Smith has gradually over each test innings. And you did a bit of research over here, and quite commendable, I'd say, because... <laughs> oh, I, went, I went the full <laughs> yeah, nerd. Yeah, definitely. The full nerd. Uh, went... I dived into my own spectrum. <laughs> But yeah, so I, of course, want to want you to elaborate on that. But just to give readers a bit of context, Jared looked at wicket keepers and their slide because they're the one who do the most mm. exertion, right? They're keeping wicket all game. And then he also looked at like wicket keepers who bat in the top six and wicket keepers who are specialist keepers and you don't expect them to bat. And the ones who are batting in the top six, there's a bit more of a slide over there, but they're not comparable slides to Steve Smith, which is fascinating. And then you also looked at the Fab Five. You included Barber as well in that. And... All of those guys, Root, Williamson, uh, Virat Kohli, Babar Azam, their patterns and trends were not linear like Steve Smith. They had like crests no. and troughs. It was like all wavy for them. But then yeah. after doing enough research, you found a fair few cricketers, many of them Australian and Everton Weeks and Azhar Ali and Brian Lara, all of these names who actually had these similar trends for innings per runs breakdown as Steve Smith. So go ahead. The floor is yours elaborate on your findings and blow our minds. So uh, so the, my, my first question was, if we're so sure it's sleep, then there shouldn't, should there not be no, there should be very few other players who have this trend, mm. right? If we're sure it's sleep. And I sort of started by looking for players who were quite good in the first innings. 
um, and then started looking at how they were in the fourth innings. And that's how I found Everton Weeks. And, you know, uh, Brian Lara was another one who I think he had a, uh, I think he might have been a similar uh, player. And then, and Azza Ali was another one who was very good over the first couple of innings and then struggled at the end. So there was a few players there and they had, they're all a little bit different. Although Brian Lara and um, Everton Weeks are quite similar in the way they sort of tail off mm-hmm. like like Smith. It's not quite as dramatic as him, but that's because no one's ever averaged 86 in the first innings and then 55 in the second. So no one actually looks like him. But the general drift downwards, certainly something I saw a lot. And I wouldn't have expected Brian Lara to be there because he's famous for being a great player of spin, right? So it's an interesting thing to see him at the end. Then I sort of thought to myself, well, the other way of looking at this is who are the very good players who have low batting average in the fourth innings, right? And you start going through and you're just like, oh my God, there's tons. Mm. And I actually had to lower the amount of runs because there were some players who were really, I, I think we started, me and Cheyenne started looking at like 500 runs mm. or something. And, and I, I suddenly realized that there were players who weren't even on our list because they averaged like 20 mm. in the fourth innings. They hadn't even made 500 runs. They batted there a lot of times. They just hadn't made any runs. So I think Truskothic was one that came up. Um, and there was a few Steve others. Steve yeah, Steve Waugh mm. was uh, so he was a perfectly respectable player for the first two innings of the game, and then really ordinary. He actually averaged less in the third and fourth mm. innings than um, uh, than than and then Smith did. So I was doing all this manually just because I don't have a system that helps me look at this particularly well automated. So I was going through it, but in the end, I was like, you know, Alan Border and Michael Clark, and you know, uh, is it Colin McDonald? Yeah, I think it the, is. Colin yeah. Or, all these random Australian players, even Usman Khawaja was really bad in the fourth innings. And you start going through and you're like, this is weird. And it's weird how often it happened to Australian players, which might actually, if you, I didn't write about it in the piece, but might actually, if you think about it, make sense. Because Australian players like consistent bounce. And the time you're going to get the least amount of consistent mm-hmm. bounce is the fourth innings. So may, maybe that makes more sense. I don't know. But either way, um, we saw a lot of players who either had that sort of uh, slide uh, even if it wasn't as stark a slide as Steve Smith was. And then you had a lot of players who were really good in the first couple of innings and then just drop off for the last Yeah, no, Steve Smith's slide is the one in which you have like an age restriction. You can be this tall to ride this slide. Otherwise, don't ride that yeah. slide. Very, very dangerous. It's dangerous, yeah. yeah. It's the sort of slide that you go off and you're not sure you're going to touch the slide <laughs> for the first little bit. Um, and so so now I've, I've got all these different players. So I know that but this, this is the first thing I wanted to know. Well, this can't just be sleep, mm. right? You can't. T- I've never heard anyone ever talk about Steve Smith struggling to sleep throughout a test match. I've never heard of any of these other players. You're talking about players who are good against spin, players who are good against pace, uh, tall players, short players, Asian players, non-Asian. There was no pattern, hmm. right? So straight away, I start to think, I don't think this is about sleep. And also, I don't think there's a specific reason. I think some players just struggle more at the end for a, a variety of different reasons. But then to go back to your wicketkeeping point, I knew that wicketkeepers had a starker curve mm. than, than non-wicketkeepers. But when I looked it up, it was exactly the same as batters. And I was like, I've looked this up before. Mm. I know wicketkeepers are terrible in the last fourth innings. And then I thought, oh, I would have looked up wicketkeepers batting in the top seven. Mm. And so the best way of pointing it out is that both of them have a very similar curve for the first three innings. And then, but, but wicketkeepers are batting the top seven average about 10 or 15 mm. more right? Like it's a big difference. And then in the fourth innings, they almost average the same. So the more tired you get as a wicketkeeper who is putting in a lot of hard yards with a bat, it definitely affects your batting in the fourth innings. Because how can we say that these, all these wicketkeepers are better for three innings and then they get to the fourth innings and they're absolutely exhausted, mm. right? There has to be that they are doing so much more work than a wicketkeeper batter is. So if you're a batter wicketkeeper, you're exhausted. Right. 
that was the point at which I happened to notice just after I did the wiki keeping thing. And I was like, okay, tiredness does matter, mm. right? That's interesting because I wouldn't have come into this thinking that tiredness had mattered as much. And then I was lo looking at, and remember when I said I had to lower the amount from 500 to whatever it was, 350 runs mm. to get more players? That's when Ian Botham came up. Yeah. We'll get to beefy. And though. it was like, I don't want to waste hey? that just yet. Save that. Save that for, for next Oh, you want week. me to say beef? Okay. I'm going to, yeah. So the point, the, the point at this uh, the point at this stage was that I think through the wicket keepers I proved that the tightness was there. You're right that it isn't a similar pattern to Steve Smith, but what I would say is remember that's the overall average. That's always going to look more normal because it takes in every single player ever. I am sure that if I went through a bunch of wicket keeping batters mm -hmm. specifically, I would actually see a couple that were a little bit more like Steve Smith in that they probably averaged you know between forty and sixty in the first innings. And they probably average under 20 or under 30 in the fourth innings. I, I think you'd see that a lot more in that because that is what the tr the overall trend of that is uh, of of the, that metric is uh, for wicketkeeper batters in the top seven. Yeah, uh, and if you're doing wicketkeeper research, here's a fun one for you. I know this is completely off topic and on a tangent, but there was this wicketkeeper for Pakistan, the late Taslim Arif, played five tests in 1980, scored over 500 runs as opener. Sorry, played six tests, kept wicket in five. Scored over 500 uh, runs at 66 or over 66 as opener. And uh, he never played a test again. And he also had a double hundred versus Australia and two fifties. And yeah. He must have been really tired after all that though. <laughs> Maybe that was it. He Probably. was so exhausted they could never pick him again. But there's a fun one for you. Another peculiar sort of um, finding of yours in your research, and I'll get to beefy after this. I know you want to talk about that, was Bruce Mitchell, the South African cricketer who played his cricket uh, before and after World War II, 42 tests, you know, which were across 22 years. So this was, or well, his trend uh, per innings is a mirror image of Steve Smith's. How weird is that? Yeah. He's the best fifth, fourth innings batter I we probably yeah. ever had. So Steve Smith is and this, guys. Bruce Mitchell is this, just for context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one's one's go, one's the slide going down and the other one's the, uh, the ladder going mm. up, I suppose. But... Um, the, the interesting thing about Mitchell was that my first thing was, oh, this is all not mm. outs. I can't take this seriously. And so then I just went back and I looked at the amount of runs he did and just took out his not outs. And he still averaged over 50 in, 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 in the fourth innings. It's a small sample size. So I'm not, I wouldn't be willing to sit here and say he's the greatest fourth innings player of all time. He didn't play in Asia because South Africans didn't play the Asians because they weren't white. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a, a different part of it. But there is absolutely no doubt looking at it that he get, got better as the match went on um, in a way that is just, he was far more unnatural. What Steve Smith did was a lot more natural. I didn't really see any other Bruce Mitchells, mm. right, that, that seemed to get better as the game went on. And Bruce Mitchell was a fantastic player and... There's many different reasons. Uh, you know, South African cricket wasn't very big in the 1930s. They were broke. Uh, they weren't, uh, you know, other teams were coming through that were better at that point. Uh, they couldn't always afford to play their own first-class competition in the 20s and 30s. He, you know, they weren't winning a lot of games. They weren't making... Uh, it was probably towards the end of the 1930s, partly because of him and some of the other players that they had coming mm. through, that they started to become a slightly bigger deal. But he wasn't a flashy player. He wasn't sexy. No one ever talked him up. But he averages, I don't know, 48 or 49, 49. as you said. Oh, 49, yeah. Over 22 years in 42 matches, either side of the war. He And Australia and England were the two best teams he had to go up against. He struggled a little bit with Australia, but he destroyed England in an era where England had so many good bowlers and would have been, he would have been bowling on uncovered wickets in England and he would have been playing in South Africa, remember, 
he probably would have been playing on matting wickets at times. Mm. So for him to go to England and dominate shows you how good a player he was. And we don't know how good a fourth innings player he was because I would say that I'm the first person to ever notice this. Mm. I mean, maybe I'm not. Maybe someone has written a book about Bruce Mitchell before. I know Gideon Haig's a big fan. Maybe he mm. noticed it. But I've, I've read a lot about Bruce Mitchell <laughs> and I'd never heard this fact before. And I think that's that was, to bring it back to Steve Smith, that was the thing of, you see this a lot. People go, oh, look at his he, look at his average in the first, second, third, mm. fourth innings. It must be because he's tired, blah, blah, blah. No one ever goes back to look to see if anyone else has ever done this before. Yeah. Right? And so when you look at this, you go, there's all sorts of weird patterns mm. in some of these players, right? You know, players who make who average like 15 in the second innings. Like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that, you know, in showing Bruce Mitchell, what I really wanted to show was that we don't know that much about this mm. because this is a relatively new way of looking at cricket. Before that, we would have, we might have looked at players' averages first innings compared to second innings. Even then, if you go back and read old cricket books, these things aren't mentioned. Mm. It was hard to work it out. And before Stats Guru, it wasn't a big thing. And because of that, we hadn't really updated the way we talked about players. But clearly, there are players who specialize in different parts of the game and we hadn't been noticing it as much as we should have. Yeah, no, definitely Bruce Mitchell would make an interesting case study. But the case study that we're just about to talk about right now is, of course, Beefy Botham. Now, I love the little tangent that you went on with respect to the piece because he didn't have a sleeping problem, but he was a hardcore party boy. Now, Beefy Botham, it's well documented that, you know, he liked a night out. Even his doc, or well, autobiography, it has Don't Tell Cats. You know, underneath, Kath is his wife, or wh whoever does not know. So this is someone who went hard at it and, uh, you know, drank a lot and whatever. And if you look at his numbers, of course, he was also an all-rounder. So you have both his bowling and batting trends. Bat the yeah. batting trend is fairly similar to Steve Smith. There is a drop, but not quite as drastic. And there is a bit of a jump in the third yeah. innings as well. So a safer slide for kids. But Yeah, I think his is... He's got a nice first mm. innings, second and third are mediocre, yeah. and then the fourth is the one that drops yeah. off the cliff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but what's more interesting is his bowling numbers. You know, if you look at those, first three innings, it's fairly consistent, pretty much the same. There's not a lot of, you know, uh, what's the word over here? Uh, variance. variance in them. But when you look at the fourth innings, uh, he completely skyrockets his average and you can tell that, yeah, Beefy's had enough, you know, he can't bowl anymore in this test match. So do you think that partying cost Ian Botham more or sleep costs Steve Smith more? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I don't know how much you know about Botham, but so in the 80s, early 80s, it's basically him and Margaret Thatcher, mm -hmm. right? They're the two most famous people. Cricket at that stage is massive in England. It's probably not bigger than football, but it's on the same level. And you only have 11 famous cricketers, right? Whereas you have a lot more famous footballers. And so he's the dude. He sort of takes over, you know, after George Best, I suppose, he becomes, you know, one of the most famous athletes mm -hmm. in the country. Daley Thompson is around as well. So, uh, you know, there's a few others, but boy a boycott. <laughs> but both of them is absolutely huge at that time. Um, and the first, uh, I want to say 18, maybe it might be 25 tests of his career. He's probably almost as good as the first 18 to 25 tests of anyone ever, mm. right? No one has ever started like both of them. Now, he didn't play the West Indies maybe at all or certainly very much in that period. So the best team he was supposed to go up against, he didn't. Remember, this is also World Series cricket period, mm. so some of those teams are weakened. Fair enough. But we can't take away what he did because he was absolutely fantastic. And we know how good a cricketer he was. Then he becomes the most famous person in Britain. Mm. And he's never that cricket ever again. 
he goes from being, you're talking about a guy, he was such a great athlete that he played two sports professionally, right? And he goes from that to fat. Mm. You can argue everything you want. He's overweight for the back part of his career. He's certainly not as fit as he was. He's, you know, big smoker. He's a big drinker. He's big with other um, <laughs> uh, illegal substances occasionally that you could, you know, uh, certainly allegedly. Let's, actually, no, I think, don't even think it is allegedly easy. I think he was actually caught um, with, some drug, um, with some drugs at times. Uh, and so you have this athlete who is clearly not taking care of himself. We know what he did during games. You know, uh, the, the, there's all these incredible stories of like the team putting curfews on him and like, you know, the next morning that the captain waking up to see a photo of both of them out at 3 a.m. with a girl on each arm with a cigarette in his mouth and, you know, all these sorts of things. Now, the one thing I would say is I did look up another player that's not in the piece just because it didn't quite fit this, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you why. It, I was saving this for you in the podcast, mm-hmm. in fact, <laughs> which is that, Sobers also spent all night out. Okay. Right? And Sobers' record doesn't change. I can't remember what his record is in the fourth innings with the ball, but I looked at his batting in, uh, record in the fourth inning and said it was absolutely fine. One thing I would say is that Sobers, for all of his lifestyle, still managed to be the best athlete that cricket had ever had by a big distance, whereas Botham's athletic gifts certainly go on the wane once he's not looking after his body and his life anymore. Also, I want to point out the irony that his name is Sobers. I can't get past that. <laughs> The other thing I would say is that it's a bit like, have you seen The Last Dance? Yeah. Yeah. So if you watch Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. most of the film, he's got, you know, a tequila or a bourbon in his mm-hmm. hand and he's smoking cigars and he's still absolutely smoking everyone on the court. Right. There are certain athletes who can manage that lifestyle and it's just so much better than everyone else physically mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter. Sobers was clearly in the Jordan and capability and both of them just wasn't. It did affect mm-hmm. him. But, and people said to me, but a lot of the test matches he played were like, uh, were six days and there was a rest day. And I was like, yeah, but he probably spent that rest day (laughs) partying harder, right? Like he had more time to party. So based on the wicket keepers and both of them, I'm pretty confident in the fact that from this perspective, what, what actually was happening here is that both of them had tired himself out and that wicket keepers about in the top seven certainly tire themselves out and that Steve Smith is not sleeping as much and there should be an impact on it. I don't think that takes away from the fact that I do think context matters for him. I do think playing across the line and the consistency of the bounce, all those things matter more to him than they would to other players. But I think I think once I saw both of them and I saw the wicket keepers and we know what we know about Smith, I think it certainly plays a large part. Whether it's the largest part, we don't know. But there is no doubt that not sleeping during a test match, uh, surprise, surprise, probably means that you're going to struggle more towards the end of the game than a normal player who is looking after themselves and can sleep. Yep, that checks out. Makes sense. And if you are a professional athlete, whoever's watching, get your sleep, drink responsibly, don't party too hard, and yeah, focus on the sport, I suppose. And, you know, it was fun recording this. Of course, uh, I've come up with the title, Smudger Can't Snooze. I'm, I'm really proud of that. So uh, anyway, thanks for every thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Jared, for your time. And we'll catch you soon enough once again next week for episode 10 of Footmarks. That's all for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. 
please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.